Welcome to Out of the Box Radio with me, your host, Christine Blasdale. Out of the Box Radio is a weekly podcast of audible ear candy dedicated to bringing a fresh perspective on this thing that we call life. And each and every week, we're going to be diving into the topics that matter most with lively conversations on issues such as health, wellness, and transformational healing, all with the goal of creating a better world and becoming a happier human being. I will be your tour guide for this epic adventure, and each and every week we're going to be embarking on a journey with the ultimate goal being transformation to our highest potential. And now, let's get out of the box. everyone. Welcome back to Out of the Box with Christine. I am your host, Christine Blasdale, and I am really happy that you tuned in today because I have a very special guest in store for you covering a topic that I'm interested in and I've been frustrated <laughs> in this subject matter, but uh, he's an expert and you're going to learn so much today. So without further ado, I want to introduce to you Justin Womack, who is a digital marketing, he's not just a digital marketing specialist, he's a digital marketing genius. Um, he's a copywriter, speaker, and the co-host of the podcast Marketing Geeks. His website is jmacmedia.com. If you want to find out more information, we're going to have all that info and details in the in the video version of this. But uh, welcome to Out of the Box, Justin. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Christine? I'm really good. I'm really good because I'm going to learn some things today, <laughs> uh, as, as well as our listeners and our viewers. And um, I just want to say, you know, I, I met you recently at the New Media Summit. We were uh, fellow icons of influence. And, um, your, well, your story um, about something that happened to you and how it really changed your life is something that I would love to have a share with the audience. And um, before we get into the whole marketing, uh, the do's and don'ts of digital marketing and how folks can turn their brand and their business, um, you know, the visibility of it into profits, because that's what we're all about, right? We want to we want to take people to the next level. So welcome again. And if you don't mind, just let our listeners know a little bit about you and how you got to be where you are today. Yeah, and, and I'll try to do it as condensed as possible. But <laughs> it's a it can get pretty deep on the story end. Um, that's all right. So we got we got time. We do got some time. That's right. Uh, so I'll, I'll start with this. Um, I mean, I, if I go way back to when I was younger, I think I always had like an entrepreneurial spirit. How, however, um, one of the one of the bigger entrepreneurs in my life uh, was probably my grandfather um, on my mom's side, my maternal grandfather, and he passed away when I was about like ten. And so I think, on one level, had he not, I might have started my entrepreneurship journey a lot earlier. Um, on another level, I, I don't know that for sure. You never know what's going to happen in life. Um, but for whatever the reason, I, I kind of fell off the entrepreneur path because uh, when I was young, I was always into like baseball cards. I was into garage sales. I mean, I loved like flipping stuff. Like even from a young age, I I remember you? like <laughs> <laughs> I remember being at my grand my uh, other grandparents' house, my my dad's parents, um, and I would try to like pour their drinks for them and sell them back to them. <laughs> <laughs> So just like those kind of things were like kind of deep in, in me. Uh, I always had a spirit for kind of making money and looking for creative ways to do that. Um, but I, when I graduated high school, I, I think I kind of like just didn't have a plan. And for whatever reason, I had kind of lost that ambition in me on that, on that end of it. 
And so um, I went to college kind of aimlessly. Um, I, I decided that I wanted to do something that sounded smart. So I started looking at engineering. Um, oh however, my God. <laughs> so I started taking all like the high-end engineering classes, um, getting into calculus, taking like physics, uh, chemistry, ochem. And uh, I, I realized that the math was not like my um, friend. It, it didn't. It was not my friend, especially the, the, the high-level calculus stuff. And so um, I, I decided to abandon that. But because I'd already taken so many of these chemistry and like physics classes and all this, I went into the field of biopsychology um, because I had always been in, kind of interested in psychology. And then um, I already had the science background. So it kind of was a natural fit. And this was the newer major being offered over at UC Santa Barbara, which is where I went to school uh, at the time. And it, uh, so it kind of seemed like a natural fit. And it, it's funny because like then it really had nothing to do with where I was going, but now it's kind of circling back in my life. So <laughs> funny how things work that way. Thank um, you. But, I, but I did, I, I majored in biopsychology, which is essentially neuroscience. Um, and it had an aspect where I could have taken a few extra classes and been considered pre-med even. Uh, so it's pretty, pretty advanced stuff. And uh, I finished that. And of course, uh, following a, a degree in biopsychology, I took the, uh, the first person that offered me money was for an insurance company, which has nothing to do with anything I just studied. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a paid gig. But it was a paid gig. So after graduating, uh, I had actually done um, some basic work for them while I was an undergrad. So while I was a student, I was working for that for this company and just doing like filing work and like answering phone calls, like basic stuff. And then when I graduated, they offered me a better gig and they had the biggest number on the check so <laughs> on the offer. So I, I went with it and it, um, I quickly found myself like just completely miserable. It didn't take long. I will tell you that uh, within about three months, I was like so miserable because uh, apparently I just, I don't do well when other people dictate my schedule and I also don't do well when, when I'm in a position where there's like no light at the end of the tunnel because, uh, you know, with this kind of a job, it's funny after, um, initially getting hired, I had a conversation with the VP and he, he's like, oh, you know, I, I'm excited to have you on board, but is this really what you want to do for the rest of your life? Ah! <laughs> and when he, when he asked that question, it was probably the first time I'd even considered that this could be the rest of my life <laughs> because it didn't even cross my mind. You know, I was uh, probably 21 at the time, maybe uh, 20 even. Uh, I can't remember exactly. Um, but it was, yeah, it was just like a, it, it was something that hadn't even like crossed my mind. And all of a sudden, like, uh, here I am, like not feeling good about what I'm doing, already being asked if I want to do this the rest of my life. And, and every day, you know, these, this is this a job that is like a routine based job. So every day felt the same. Every day was like, I, I always describe it like a hamster wheel. Like you're getting in, you're getting on and off the hamster wheel and you're going back over and over. And it's like the cyclical thing where all I wanted to do was like, I'd, I'd look at the clock waiting for, uh, depending on, I switched my schedule a few times, but either 5 PM or 6 PM, depending on what schedule I was on to get out of the office or for the weekends. It's like, I live my life for the weekends and that's not like a, and I think a lot of people still do that. Um, there was a, a song written about it. Yeah, there's a better way. It's <laughs> a better way I've since discovered. Um, so so I, I often even describe this as like soul deadening. Like what, that's what it felt like for me to have a full-time job because it, it's just, I, I, it honestly it started eating away at me. And now while I did this, I, I, I explored a few things on the side. So um in the spirit of my biopsychology, I actually did do a little bit of studying on neurofeedback, which is um, basically 
a classical conditioning way of kind of modifying brain waves. So you'd, you'd hook somebody yes. up to an EEG, yeah. they play like a, a game and then you're giving them rewards for certain brain waves and you're helping train them. So I did become certified in that and had that like kind of, uh, I did have that like hobby on the side of kind of following that psychology side, but I never really was able to monetize that, but it was just uh, an interest. Um, but so fast forward about, <clears throat> about seven years <laughs> of me doing this. And uh, I eventually reached a point where I was like entering like kind of a deep depression. Mm. And I was in a, I had entered a relationship pretty recently at the time, probably about a year or two in. And my girlfriend, who is now my wife, um, you know, noticed how like how dark it was getting for me and kind of uh, in a sense, like we had a conversation about it. It's like, you, there, there really something has to shift. Like this is not going to like, you can't go on like this. It's not going to work for you. And uh, eventually I was able to, go to my boss and actually um, tell him that I'm going to walk away. And I did so without a plan. <laughs> like there was, there was no jumped. plan. Yeah. I, I basically just jumped. There was no plan here. And e even that, because uh, I, I haven't talked about this, but I, I'm a very introverted by nature. Um, so I've always had a bit of a, a tendency to avoid conflict and even though like a conversation like that is not conflict per se it felt like it for me so like those kind of conversations where actual truth is being shared <laughs> are not always the most comfortable ones for me to have or they weren't in the past um and so like that took a lot of courage for me and it it was a it was a big step for me um but i left without a plan and my my first inkling was i needed to, i had like gave myself a couple months to find my passion uh, my first, the first thing I did was I, I got a job as a production assistant on a movie set. And I thought like, cause I love movies. So I'm like, okay, maybe this is the path. So I, I worked on one movie. It was an indie film. It was super low budget. Like the biggest stars were um, Eric Roberts and Corey Feldman. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and they were only in the movie for like, they only filmed for like four days each. <laughs> and the rest right. of it was, <laughs> but they were the ones selling the movie. <laughs> All right. Um, but it, it, but it quickly, that also uh, came to be like, I'm like, oh, uh, okay, I can, I can love movies, but maybe not love working on the back end of this because it was, those were ridiculous oh, days. It's horrific. I was a PA. We were, <laughs> I was <yeah>. a PA. <laughs> horrible jobs. It was horrible. It was not, it was not fun. There was no, you know, it was not great. It's pretty, it was pretty, uh, no glory. And, uh, and so I, I realized that that also wasn't for me. And so I, um, I had been kind of interested in personal growth for quite a while and, and even in college and I listened to like personal power, Tony Robbins and a lot of that stuff. And, and I found an opportunity to go to a, um, a seminar on neuro-linguistic programming NLP, which is the kind of the foundation work of uh, Tony Robbins. And so um, at this time, I, I kind of attended a seminar and kind of stumbled into it. And at that kind of at the seminar, I, I think it was the first time I found an industry that I like really, really loved and found fascinating. And it's funny. So the first seminar I attended, I, I bought like everything anyone could buy. So <laughs> <laughs> I bought, I bought the big program to go study NLP on like a, uh, on like a high basis. And I bought the, all the guest speaker spots, everything. Um, but what was amazing of that is it's kind of like what led from this. So after attending this event, um, one of the guest speakers uh, I had bought his, I, I attended his event and there were, um, there came an opportunity where he needed somebody to work for him and I ended up getting that job. So I ended up working on the back end of a, ended up being a seven figure seminar business um, with really no experience in the seminar industry. Although I have a wide background of different 
kinds of experiences and including I had other jobs I didn't mention like telemarketing and things like that. <laughs> so I've, I've worked in a number of different fields and I have, uh, and I've had some sales and marketing slight background of, um, stuff, but I kind of came in here pretty blind and it was just me and one other full-time employee kind of operating the seven figure business. And then there was another person wow. that would be there part-time. Um, but this is where I really started learning the ins and outs of digital. Um, and especially the first time I really got exposed to like heavy level copywriting and things like that. And it was, uh, I, I quickly found that I loved the work. Um, however, it still wasn't perfect working for somebody else. Right. Um, especially well, because this was, it. you were good at it. So it, that was something that would come a little bit easy too. Right? It was, yeah, it came a little bit. It, yeah. Certain things come to me a little bit easier, especially like with writing. I've always been considered a good writer. Um, luckily for me, my writing talents also lended themselves to copywriting because I think those are very different skills, but, um, yep. there, there is some crossover too. <laughs> yes. So while this was going on, um, I had, I had really kind of gone, gone deep in here, but uh, at one point during this, uh, this time, um, you know, I, I had, I had become pretty exhausted doing this because a lot of, a lot of these days too, working for somebody else as a, as a small business owner that, you know, we were spending 15, 18 hour days at times, especially around when they were doing events. Um, so it, it could be exhausting. Uh, but when at one point during this, after kind of an exhausting few days and, um, just other things going on in my life, uh, I, I found myself kind of, uh, asked to come in on a Sunday and wasn't expecting to come in on a Sunday. So I wasn't kind of prepared for that. Um, and I, I, I went out to drive, uh, drive out. And I mean, the next thing I remember, I woke up in a hospital bed 30 days later, um, and came to, and, and came to find out that I'd been in, in a major car accident. Um, but not just any car accident, um, but a well, car no, accident. No, you go big. You go big. <laughs> yeah, I go big. <laughs> right. Where my car had, gone through a guardrail it had landed um vertical uh, and to, like airbags deployed and knocked me unconscious and then it had it had when it was vertical it landed on its back but it landed inside a creek bed um so i was underwater like drowning in a creek bed um and was actually rescued by somebody that witnessed the accident or i would have died so if they hadn't it, seen if they hadn't seen what happened Right. Yeah, there were there were quite a few. I guess there were quite a few witnesses that saw it. However, what? Yeah, one person jumped out of their car and immediately dove in and went after me, which is pretty incredible that somebody would do that. Um, and there's just so many. There's so many kind of strange synchronicities that happen with this whole thing. But the I've talked uh, and I, I've become friends with him and his wife because his wife was was driving and he was in the car. Wow. And he just uh, jumped out and his wife just, you know, let him do it too. She didn't stop him, <laughs> which is also important. <laughs> um, but he, yeah, he's told me since that he, he jumped in. The water was really, really dirty. And this is one of the reasons that I was in the hospital so long. Um, because there was like a part, it was part salt water, part fresh water. It has sewage runoff. So it was filthy water. And, and he, so he dove in. He was able to get the door open, which I don't even know how he did that. Um, I, and I'm assuming that there was some sort of anti like unlock mechanism that kicked in because the airbags deployed. I, I don't even know why the doors were unlocked to be honest. Um, and he, he got the, so he got the door open, but I was still in the seatbelt and the airbags were deployed and he, so he was having trouble getting me out. So he came back up and he asked if anyone like near, um, near the side there had a knife and nobody did. 
and the way he's described this to me is that he said that in that moment he felt so traumatized because he knew yeah. that if he, he would he's going to go back down and if he doesn't get me like I'm um, I would die and which is I, I don't know I mean I, I think about this like if I put myself in his shoes it's like would I feel the same way I, I mean I I hope so I got, I got full <laughs> yeah. chills I I could feel his absolute panic with that yeah. Moment. So he, he, he went back down and this is how he said, he, he says he doesn't remember a thing um, when he went back down, but it, he, he was able to come back up and he had me. He doesn't know how he did it. And, um, and then he, he was able to bring me to, uh, I think once he had me up, somebody helped bring me to the shore and there was an off-duty firefighter or off-duty lifeguard also there that helped to do CPR. So it was like another wow. amazing like, synchronicity, luck, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and they were able to keep me alive until the ambulance got there. And, th and that was the beginning of my journey because I, I had gotten, my lungs had gotten so sick from that dirty water that I had <clears throat> developed major, major complications. My lungs uh, got a condition called ARDS, which is when they like harden the cardboard. And I've been, I've been told that it's somewhere in the range of like 70 to 80% of people that get ARDS do not survive. So it's very rare to survive. And it was, um, so I, I was in an uphill battle, um, and even even when I got to the hospital too, they had to put me into a, a device called a rotaprone bed, which is a bed where they basically strap your body in and they rotate you, and it was to rotate like all the dirty sentiment in my lungs to keep the to keep it flowing. Wow. And they like first of all, like these are rare that any hospital would have one of these in their possession, and they had it. And second, this I believe they said I was the first person ever to be able to use it because it's so rare that somebody's sick enough to need it, but healthy enough to survive being moved into it is like the way they've described it. So um, like, and also I cleared the maximum height limit by like a half of an inch also apparently because <laughs> yeah. I'm six foot five. <laughs> You're tall. So, so I like barely cleared that. And if I didn't clear that, I, I don't think they would have been able to use that either. So it's just like all these kind of like near, near close calls. Um, and, and, and again, like this, this all worked out, but I, I still had an uphill battle because I, I was put into a medical coma for 30 days. Um, on, on day three, my, I get, my lungs had collapsed. I had gone in at one point to multiple organ failure. My, um, my leg had turned purple. They had brought the priest down and uh, to do like blessings. And they, um, they told my father that like my, when my leg turned purple, they said that they're going to take me in to operate and it's life over limbs. So if I have to amputate, they're going to amputate. And that was, uh. so it was real close to losing my leg. And, and somehow I mean, I was unconscious for this, but somehow I came out of that and, um, with both, with all limbs intact and somehow survived that. And, and so there were lots of surgeries. I had to go with thoracotomy, which is where they, um, scrape, they had to scrape fungus off of my lungs. And then they had, um, and I had a respirator in for about the first 15 or 20 days, and then they switched to a trach. And so even when I came off of uh, the sedation and out of the medical coma, I was still on a trach. So even as I came to, I still couldn't talk. So there was about, I spent about another 30 days in the hospital bed where I couldn't talk, couldn't move my body, um, hooked, up, hooked up to, I think I had... It was either six or eight chest tubes, which are things that were pumping out, like still pumping out sediment from my lungs. And, and so it was very humbling um, because I, number one, I was rescued, which was pretty incredible that um, like I kind of like owed my life now to somebody else. And, and two, you know, losing 
basically losing like what felt like everything. I mean, losing my ability to walk, losing my ability to talk, losing my ability to move. And every day in the hospital bed, like felt like a week. I mean, I don't know how to describe it. It was like, I've, I've, <laughs> I recently had something where I was only in the hospital like two days and I was going nuts and I was able to talk and all of that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can't imagine what was going you know, through your head at that time. Hey, Out of the Boxers, we'll return to this program in just a few seconds, I promise, but I wanted to tell you about something that I am so excited about. It's my very own personal development program, and it's called Accelerate Your Dreams. If you want to start your own business, write a book, create healthy and happy relationships, or simply lose weight, our goal is to get you there. You can find out more by visiting AccelerateYourDreams.com. That's AccelerateYourDreams.com. Check it out. And now back to the program. I remember like just trying like wish I could fast forward time because I, <laughs> you know, I knew that after another month or so, maybe I can get out of here and who knows what will happen. And I didn't know what the quality of my life would be. I didn't know things right. like that. Um, and the doctors didn't either. And so it was, yeah, there was a lot of unknowns, but it was, it was very humbling and it had me, it gave me a lot of time to reflect and think and it. And, and I credit a lot of this for um, where I found kind of the courage to get over some of my fears that it held me back, especially in the terms of like going out and starting my own business and pursuing some things that I might not otherwise have pursued because I kind of like the realization like, wow, this really should have been it. Like everything out from here on out, it's almost like bonus time. Right. And, and right. so, so when I finally, you know, uh, so two months later, I, I finally got out of the hospital. I mean, you know, I could. I could stand and I could walk with help, but I mean, I barely even walk then. And I was able, but I was considered strong enough to not need to go to an outpatient rehab. Um, however, I still had to go every day to, we'd have to go to the infusion centers, which a lot of times were like the same as the cancer centers. And I'd have to go hooked up to an IV and have antifungal meds um, for several months, even after an outpatient, uh, because I was on very, very high doses of those. And and I was also on Coumadin for blood thinners because I had several blood clots and things like that from complications of being in a hospital bed for that long. So it was, it was a lot, and it took me about a year to really fully recover my body from that. And I wouldn't even say fully recover, but recover enough to where I could comfortably move and comfortably walk. I mean, to this day, um, I still would say that like, I haven't recovered the full like, muscle mass or things like that. Because when, you, when you're in a hospital bed that long and you have that kind of atrophy, like some of those effects are, are very, very um, detriment, <laughs> detrimental or, I mean, long lasting. Like when I got out, I couldn't lift my arms over my head. I couldn't open heavy doors. Like a sliding glass door would be too heavy for me to even open. I mean, that's how, that's what the level of weakness we're talking about getting when you're leaving, like being in a hospital bed that long. And I lost about 50 pounds just because I was on, you know, liquid diet for a good month there. And only in the last, I'd say, you know, Two months in the ICU, uh, and only in the last like five days did I start eating solid food before they let me out. So it was, it was a crazy experience, um, but one I guess I needed to kind of redirect the direction of uh, where I was going and, and kind of find a, a different meaning with my like my soul alignment. Even I would I would describe. Um, so it's yeah, it's been it's been intense, and I mean, and I think even like I've described this that there was, you know, I, I had gotten to some pretty dark places at times, like even like with like my view on like humanity as a whole and things like that. So to have somebody like do this for me and like rescue me and then also being in the hospital bed and seeing like people I hadn't talked to for 15, like 10, 15 years, like show up randomly or like at least show up with letters or, you know, or 
uh, or outreach of some kind to the family. It, it was pr- it was very humbling, um, and it was very it, it felt it was it was just surprised it surprised me. <laughs> I didn't expect it. You got to receive. I got, I got to receive. Yeah. And I, and I guess it felt like it had been a long time for me. I guess uh, maybe it had, maybe it hadn't, because it's easy to get jaded too. <laughs> so, um, but it, yeah, it was it, it, this. This was pretty incredible. And coming out of it, like there were a few things. So, like my girlfriend that I described back when I first kind of went on this journey, when leaving my job, even like starting there, uh, we were still together. She stayed by my side this entire time. And um, so, since we've gotten married. So that was something that I was able to to do. We were able to get married afterwards. And now we've had our first child who is, um, he's now one and a half. And so it, it's pretty cool that like, one of the things I joke about is like when I got out of the hospital, like everybody's like, wow, you, you know, you ha- you're here for, a, you're here for a purpose. Like there's, there's no way that you survived that. And you know, there's something, you're here to do something big. And so I, I, I like to joke that because I mean, that's, that's a lot of pressure, but now that I've had a, now that I've had a kid that resulted from this, I'm like, well, some of that's on him now. So <laughs> <laughs> He's supposed to save the world now. Yeah. Now it's him because <laughs> he wouldn't have survived if I didn't survive. So this is by proxy. <laughs> exactly. And that guy that rescued you, you know, he's part of your family now too. Really. Yeah, he I is. Think. And we've, yeah, we, we visited him. It's been, I think around April, it was either April this year, I think we came and we went and visited him and his wife and um, he got to meet, um, he got to meet Jacob, my son. And um, so it's like, he's like a, a godfather in a sense, uh, you know, because I don't know how else to describe that. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's really cool. So it was, uh, it's, it's been really fun to kind of make a, a connection with them and a relationship with them too. But was it, it was it after that too, where you, I, I think whenever we kind of literally or fi- figuratively hit a wall, Mm-hmm. Um, it changes us on so many different levels that you do, you do get a great appreciation for life and to realize that however many days that you have here on this planet, that you do want to make the most of them. And, and I hope that like, cause I, things have happened to me uh, as well in the past that I always want to hold on to that feeling and to never take life for, you know, for granted but also you are here for many reasons, right? Just uh, that's, that's how miracles happen. It's like, Oh, it's not your time yet, mate. You know, (laughs) (laughs) there's there's stuff for you to do. So is that when you also went full board into your, into your own uh, business and doing, you know, using some of your skills and talents, the copywriting um, and and such and filling in that niche that needed to be filled with so many people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, and I think what it did again is that it took away the fears that I had around that. Um, right. You survived. I, you survived. I, I survived this, <laughs> but there's, there's a few things here I want to, I want to unpack because I, I mentioned like being an introvert and uh, you know, I, um, I've battled like social anxiety and things like that in the past and at a pretty high level. And, and so like that, one of my challenges was like getting my head around the idea of visibility and putting myself out there. I mean, like one, like if I think back, you know, to something like Facebook or even MySpace back in my time, you know, <laughs> um, I, I would create accounts on there. And a lot of times I wouldn't even put my photo on there because it wasn't because I was afraid of privacy reasons. It was because I was uncomfortable with myself. And it was like, a, it, was, wow. it was a personal confidence thing. Um, so like having this kind of gave me just kind of flipped my perspective a bit. And it, it I, I don't know exactly how the shift 
took place exactly, but it was one of the, I mean, one of the things that I've really embraced is kind of like being able to put myself out there and take risks and things like that, which a lot of these things that I, I would call risks, like were risk for me, but they wouldn't be a risk for normal people. <laughs> like, but, it, but it's um, big. Yeah. It's big for you. It was big for me. And, and even, um, once I, once I embraced the idea of starting my own business, like I, I had my own doubts around like telling people around that. I didn't even want to, at first I didn't want to tell my parents I was going to go that route. I didn't want to tell my family I was going to go that route. And, uh, and, and so doing that also, like, it's funny how, like I took these actions and these things that I built up in my mind as barriers, like they were just like nothing. <laughs> like they were, the reaction was like positive. I mean, there was like no negative to it. Right. So it's like, but I had, I had used this as an excuse, like in the past for some of the reasons I wouldn't go after my, uh, after my goals because I had this sense of identity that didn't match that in my mind anyway. And so, um, so getting through a few of those mental blocks was really big for me. And, and so coming, so once I kind of regained my, my faculties, one of the things I did was cause I, I needed some time to kind of rebuild my body. Um, I, I actually re-enrolled in the local junior college and, um, and started taking a bunch of business classes and entrepreneur classes just to kind of lock down, um, some basic concepts around it because I'd never started a business before I had, you know, I was familiar, I had become pretty familiar with some of the basics, but I hadn't done it. So I, I got involved, um, I, I started taking classes at the local college. I ended up getting a, a, an associate's in, in business um, just to, to supplement my bachelor's. And, uh, and I also um, took a local subsidized program um, that was for entrepreneurs that, was, that basically taught us like the, all the ins and outs of everything you have to do to start a business, including like filing your fictitious business statement, you know, creating like either starting a sole proprietorship or LLC and like all, all the real fundamentals and basics. And I used that, and I also was able to to use that as a networking source. And so, uh, from that, I ended up using that to launch my business and also get my first client, which was really cool. So <laughs> nice. So I, I used that, got my got my first client, which was uh, actually like a website build, and um, it was it was super. I charged like nothing at the time because I need I needed to kind of build up a an ex, build up a experience and. and uh, or at least in my mind, I, you know, I needed to do a few things to kind of get my confidence up. Um, but yeah, the, after kind of tackling that first client, then I started embracing, okay, like how am I going to do this business? And what I decided was that I wanted to take the concepts that I had learned from the seminar industry, digital marketing, and kind of adapt that to small business owners, especially local and like um, in my local area, like through the chamber, through like all these different types of businesses. And so that's how I initially started the business. And it, it quickly, we, we're going to, I think we're going to talk a little bit about some digital marketing things, but um, I, I, I learned a lot about the small business side of things because I had, I had been working on the back end of a seven figure seminar business. And I, you know, we had, we had gone through a lot of the belief systems around money around like these high level concepts. And he charged a hundred thousand dollars for his high level program. So I had, wow. yes. So I, I had, what was good was that I had somewhat been exposed to this, um, almost like the, the Steve Jobs type reality distortion field, if you've ever read his book, <laughs> um, which is where he was, you know, he would be able to basically convince anyone of his worldview and like distort reality. And, and the, I'd say the person I work for had the same gift. And, and, and so, I mean, I, I learned that like, cause you do tell somebody outside of the seminar industry that there's a hundred thousand dollar coaching packages that exist and people um, that are not, you know, 
enterprise level business owners are buying them. And it's like, what? <laughs> like nobody understands right. it. But when you're in the rooms and you watch it happen, it's, it's real. And, and there's a psychology to it and there's a process to it and, and there's a value to it. Of course. And there, um, and, and so it's all relative been, too. it is all, it is all relative. And I, and so I had been exposed to a lot of that and like these things, you know, while being exposed to it, the confidence doesn't necessarily automatically rub off, but the, uh, but the concepts and the ideas and the, and again, the psychology behind it, do, you know, do, I do understand it. And I, I came to understand it pretty deeply. And so a lot of that is, um, is kind of what I started to implement in my business. And it, yeah, it's been, so that, that was, that was the start of things. Um, and, and now I'm in, so this, this accident actually happened in 2014. It wasn't that long ago. So we're not like, we're not going way back. We're not going way back here. So this is year four of my business that I've really been, um, and we're about completing it. So about year four of that. And then if you, you know, and then I had the time working on the back end. So like, I consider that like in the same industry, marketing, copywriting. So I've really been doing this, this field for five to six years ish. But it, like the level of growth from running my own business has been like exponential. Like every year I've learned so much and I've, I feel like I'm like a totally different person each and every year I do this. And I, I pretty, basically every year I've been able to double my revenue since I started. And it's, uh, it's been quite a journey and I've met amazing people along the way. And so it's, it's exciting stuff, but um, yeah, I'd love to talk digital marketing or, or, or let me answer your questions. What do you got? <laughs> well, in, in particular, I'm, cause I love, I love the fact that, you know, and, and again, maybe it was, you know, it was, you have a second chance at life where you're like, you know what I want to do. I want to do something that I really, cause the insurance thing wasn't happening working on, you know, in production and on films, obviously that's, I mean, cause that's a soul crushing, uh, uh, arena. <laughs> I only but, worked on one movie too. <laughs> yeah. But, but I know I trust me. I, I know, I know what it's about, but, um, you it's what I like is that you found something that is that, that you're, that you're good at. Yes. And you can make an, you know, a really good living at, but, um, you're also, you're also helping other people fulfill their dreams. And this is what I've, this is what I've seen is that there's a renaissance or, or a, a boom right now of, of people who are like, I'm tired of the insurance job. You know, I'm tired yeah. of doing the nine to five. I, I'm not happy. Um, I'm living for the weekend only. And so many people, um, and in particular, there's a, there's, there's a lot of women, especially too, that are like, you know, they're reinventing their themselves. And at a later, you know, like, not in their twenties, but you know, in their forties yeah. and even fifties. And I, I mean, I have clients that are in their sixties and they're taking on, you know, these, these new careers, these new businesses. And the thing is, is that it's exciting and they've got all this great passion and energy, but one of the hardest things for them is, is marketing is, is, is getting the word out. And I think just even the, the importance of our story, the importance of why we are here, you know, and where that's what grabs me as a podcast host and as a radio host, it's always about the story and the journey, the hero's journey, so to speak of why the, someone is in business, why they came up with a product or a service. That's more interesting to me than just saying, Hey, I've got this, <laughs> you know, this shiny new cool thing. You need it. You need it. You need it. Cause that, that kind of marketing I think is, is either dying or on its way out. Right. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. You're basically describing, um, so there's like 
concept of inbound versus outbound marketing. Like outbound marketing is like your old school cold calling, your old school infomercial style, like in your face, used car salesman, all the, you know, yeah. that, that's what I would call outbound marketing in a lot of senses. Uh, but inbound marketing is where you're actually producing content, telling your story, doing things that attract people to come to you. And that's, that's the bigger philosophy that's been kind of um, taking hold in the recent, in the recent era here. And so I mentioned that I majored in biopsychology and like how that had kind of come back around. So what's interesting is I've really gone in and studied things like, you know, the influence psychology, presentation psychology, persuasion psychology. And what I found is, is really that um, one, no matter what business you're in, I think there's one core fundamental skill that, that is more important than anything else in, in all of business. And that's public speaking. And through that. Yeah. And so one of the, I didn't even mention this, but one of the things I also did after, after my accident was I, I finished uh, that NLP um, training that I had talked about in the beginning. And one of the, one of the courses was on NLP for public speaking. And that actually that, that course made a big difference on my confidence and my ability um, to consider myself a public speaker. It helped, it helped to reframe the way I saw myself in that light. And it helped me to kind of tell my story and do more in this realm. But the reason I say public speaking is so important is because I do believe exactly what you said that marketing in the modern era is about storytelling and it's about, it's about being able to communicate your message to the most number of people. And so there public speaking has multiple purposes. One, it's going to get your message out to a wide variety of people, but two, it also helps to build your authority. Even if it's like what you would call perceived authority. Um, when you're on stage, you're instantly perceived as having an expertise because you've been put on a stage. It doesn't matter if right. it's at a, at a local networking group and you're the speaker. Um, it, it doesn't matter where you are. You're just instantly viewed as in a higher light. And a lot of that is hardwired into our brains through like evolutionary psychology. So there, there are certain things that you could do to help build your authority and be viewed as a more credible source. And, um, and most of them are going to have some level of public speaking involved. So the ones that I like to highlight the most are, again, just become a public speaker, go speak at your local chamber group, go speak at a local networking group, um, find gigs like that, and take on free stuff. You don't need to be paid for your speaking efforts, especially if you're just getting started. Right. So it's uh, like the more you get yourself out there, the better. And and so uh, I do think that's also a challenge. There's a mindset challenge with some people transitioning from employee to entrepreneur where they're very interested in the hourly. Uh, entrepreneurs don't get paid hourly. I can tell you <laughs> no, <laughs> like that's not the right not. mindset to be in. If you're, if you're going from employee to entrepreneur, don't think uh, it's going to be like, Oh, I'm going to work less hours. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Sometimes you work, you work a lot. We work, Especially we work in the time. beginning. Yeah, you might get to a place later on where you can do that, but in yeah. the beginning you're going to work more hours likely. Yeah. Um, but like the ways that you can kind of build perceived authority. So like there's, there's writing a book, and so you could write a book and like with Amazon create space, it's easier than ever for anybody to kind of create a book or create an ebook on Amazon, um, get it out there, get an ISBN behind it. And it's really not that hard. You can go to YouTube and figure it out really if you want to, but it's, um, so ISBN there's lots of, there's lots of coaches and people that help you do that. And it's, uh, and there's, there's a lot more to it than just that. So I would recommend working with somebody, but it's, uh, but I'm just saying like anybody can do it. So that's, that's an opportunity that didn't used to exist. No, it, no, you, to write a book before you had to have an agent, you had to be with a big publishing house. Now it's, yeah, it's yeah. super, super easy to do. You just got to do it. You got to know how to do it. Yeah. You got to know how to do it. You got to know the structure, all that. So writing um, a book and, and, um, and public speaking. And I know there's a lot of uh, opportunity. Are you familiar with Toastmasters? Cause I know oh, yeah. about this. 
Mm-hmm. Have you ever done it? Yeah, I did Toastmasters. Funny, actually, I did Toastmasters way back when I was like still doing insurance. I, I first stumbled into it, so that was my first experience, I guess, with the public speaking realm. It, and it was it was a time when I again I've always been kind of a seeker in, in a lot of senses. And it's funny, I, I describe Toastmasters as like a support group for public speakers because it's <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. It's a uh, you're basically in there. It's, it's, uh, it's very structured. Um, you know, three people get a chance to speak. Then you have, you have people that are offering their, um, their feedback on, on how to get, how to do it better next time. You have an um and an awe counter. It's, uh, it, oh, it was, is it really an um and an awe counter? Oh, in Toastmasters. Yes. There's a, there's an um and an awe counter and somebody is counting the ums, counting the ahs. And, and that's debatable in some, in some public speaking fields, whether how important that is. I think, I think, Ums and ahs are okay in moderation, <laughs> but if it's too many of them, it can be very distracting. It, they, it can be, and also like, like the word. Well, like. there's a lot. I mean, they, they yeah, like. they'll, you know, is another one um, oh, that people yeah, go yeah. to. <laughs> so there's, there's a number of ticks or whatever you want to call them that people have. Um, and there's an um right there. <laughs> and it's just a, it's a placeholder. It's a placeholder. It's while you're kind of grabbing your thoughts. Your mind is going and you're, yeah, it's a little placeholder. So yeah, no, I'm, I, I love the idea of Toastmasters. I think it's, um, and it's been around a, quite a long time as well. Yeah. I, I think I found more growth from the NLP speaker training than I did from Toastmasters, but I think Toastmasters is a great first step to get exposed to it and get practice. Beginning. And ultimately, ultimately any action that you take towards your goal is going to, um, like you're opening up parts of your brain just by taking that action and you're giving yourself the best opportunity to succeed. So I think, I think just the very act that you're doing something is going to give you a better chance at, um, at finding what you're looking for. Exactly. exactly. So beyond the, yeah, so we have the book. Um, and, and I also argue that writing a book is a vehicle to get more public speaking gigs because you, if you're doing it right, you're leveraging that to go get yourself booked on stages, go get yourself booked on television, things like that. Um, so that's also podcast an aspect shows, of podcast, the book. Radio. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Everything. Um, so yeah, this day and age, podcasting is another means of building authority and fast prestige. And when we're talking about business owners that don't have a big budget, I think podcasting is one of the best things they can do right now to get fast credibility and prestige in their business and get their message out there. Even if they have a small audience, it doesn't matter if you have a small audience because it's, this is so good on so many different levels. Number one, you're practicing your public speaking skills by speaking into a mic and doing this. Uh, number two, you're gaining authority by the fact that you're leading a show and you are the host of a show. Number three, you have a vehicle for connecting with other, um, other entrepreneurs in your industry or other potential clients in your industry and interviewing them. And that's your vehicle for connection. So it's like, it's a massive networking tool that people don't always think about with podcasting, but podcasting opens up doors that are, that were not there before with, uh, so I have a show called marketing geeks and with, uh, with that show, we've been doing it for a year and a half. We've, we've been able to connect with some pretty high level uh, industry leaders in, in the marketing world. So like people like Pat Flynn, who runs uh, Smart Passive Income, who's well known in the podcast community. He's been on our show. We've had Ryan, um, Ryan Levesque, the, uh, the founder of The Ask Method, who's written two best-selling books. We've had Orrin Claff, um, who wrote Pitch Anything. And, we've, and John Lee Dumas, who's pretty well known um, as well in the podcast community. So we've had, we've had some like big names and these are people that I would never be able to connect with without having the show right. as my vehicle. It'd be a very different conversation, put it that way. Maybe I could connect with them, but I might have to pay them, things like that. And if I wanted to, if I wanted to spend a day with these people, a lot of them I'd have to spend like $10,000 for a VIP day. I mean, that's how, that's how it is to spend, uh, to spend a full day with these people. And I get to do it. I get to have an hour of their time for free and ask them anything I want, which is pretty incredible. <laughs> and you get to use their name and their 
their fame to promote yes. the, the podcast show so more big people time. are going to know who you are. Right. Yeah, so from an authority building standpoint, every time I have a, a big name on my show, I borrow some of that prestige, some of that credibility. You could call this like the Oprah Winfrey model is a good example yeah. Yeah. Uh, where you're, you have other people's content. So we don't have to do our own content. We have other people's prestige and we're putting them on our platform. And every time we do it, we're borrowing, uh, you know, their audience is likely going to listen and a, and a certain percentage of them will stick around and stay and, and become a part of our tribe. Exactly. So it's, it's a it's a powerful tool and it's, it's something that anybody can do and it's affordable uh, if you know what you're doing. So, so I think podcasting is so amazing. Now it, it also lends itself to like what your strengths are though, because some of us might be better on video. And if you're better on video, what's nice is, well, no, number one, you could do a video like you were doing right now and make it into a podcast and use it multi, uh, multi-purpose it. Uh, but number two, it, it's also okay if you just have some kind of a regular show that's like a Facebook live show. It doesn't have to necessarily even be on the podcast medium. Correct. But right. by having some kind of a show where you're producing content, you're able to bring people on and interview them and, and just having this regular distribution um, form, it's going to do wonders for your business. And, and I think uh, in the same vein, if you're more kinesthetic, you could look at writing a blog. And I think a blog is also, that's like kind of the old school method, but it's also still very valuable because again, when it, it's like, being an author, when you write articles, you're perceived in a higher light. Uh, it also gives you other opportunities to get, to get your name out there. And all of these things, the more content you put out there, the better your SEO is. Like we're like search engine optimization, which is how Google sees your website and how they rank your website is becoming less about the tricks that used to be like the black, they call black hat, which is like um, the shady stuff. It's less about that this day and age and more about um, relevant content. Content. It's content. more about content than it ever has been. And it's, it's all, it's going to become, it's going to continue that, that path. So the more content you have out there, whether that's podcasts, whether that's blogs, whether that's uh, however, or videos, however you're providing value to your audience, the more relevant Google sees your website as solving a problem that somebody's searching for, the more likely they're going to put you higher in the rankings. And so things like podcasts are actually not only amazing for, um, for building your authority, but they're also amazing for SEO. and just like with uh, guest blogging, which was a big thing back in the late 2000, 2008, 2009, 2010, being a guest on podcasts like I'm doing and like you've done, Christine, is also very big for SEO because every time that you are a guest on somebody's show and they put a link back to your website, that's considered a backlink and those are helping to build your, um, your SEO profile as well to your website or your offer. So all of this stuff are things that people kind of uh, neglect a lot and they're, they're inexpensive ways of building authority, prestige and attracting people to your, uh, to your business. And so I, I think that if you're getting started in a business, these are the things you have to consider. Don't get too caught up. Like I know like, like so many business owners, like they, they're like, Oh, I have to create a Facebook account. Oh, I have to create a Pinterest account. I have to create an Instagram account. I have to create a Snapchat account. Like <laughs> TikTok now. Um, <laughs> Don't get too caught up in, in all that. Just, just remember, like, the fundamentals are always going to apply. It's like what you said. Story is the fundamental, and there has to be a way of distributing it. But I, I think, like, focusing, just kind of focusing your efforts in, in a single area are going to be so much more effective yeah. than if you try to just, like, do everything at once. If you do try and do everything at once, and this is, this is what creates burnout, this is what creates overwhelm. There's so many, it's like having, you know, I don't know how, I don't know how old you are, you're young, but when I was a kid, the, like the Ed Sullivan show or whatever would have the plate spinners, you know, that there was like a pole and somebody would put a plate on it and they would spin it and then they would put another pole in and they would spin another plate. And after a while there was like, you know, 
12 different plates spinning and he'd have to go back and make sure there'd be music playing like circus music, whatever. But when there's too much, uh, you know, a plate can, can fall down. One yeah. thing that you said, and, and I, I also um, highly recommend folks either get on podcast shows to talk about what they do, their specialty, um, because it's a free infomercial, really. Yeah. I mean, you're, somebody is saying, we want to talk to you about, you know, and promote you. <laughs> yeah, we want to hear your story. <laughs> we want to hear your story. We, we, yeah, we think, and again, it establishes you as an expert in, in, in many ways, but you can also use that on your own website and on your own, like, Facebook page. You can use that and say, you know, hey, look, you know, I, I, this is like a media coverage. Look, somebody interviewed me. But you have the... Um, you have that that beautiful thing of of being on uh, someone else's podcast, but when you create your own podcast show as an expert, it doesn't matter. You could be a mom who's able to feed a family for four for twenty five dollars a day or whatever. Yeah, right? I mean, I'm I'm working right now with um with a widower that's you know spreading her message to other widows, and so it, I mean anything. It's that's be a podcast. A, and it's, a, it's, a it's an important message. Yeah, important. It's message. in a wonderful arena. So. I encourage also entrepreneurs, people who have who are starting up their business to to create their own um, podcast shows, and that's who a lot of my clients are. Right, they're transitioning to this world of of podcasting. But you got not only do you have the the audio um, and the podcast show, establishing yourself as an expert, and if you do the video, that's great because you're also being exposed. People are seeing you. On YouTube, you get a whole different audience that you could never have gotten if on your social media, you know, on your Facebook page with your family or friends. Mm -hmm. But then you can take the, the audio from your podcast show, if, if it's yours, you can take that audio and turn it into an ebook, turn it into a chapter in a book. If you have a series of interviews with people um, and you're dealing with crisis or you're dealing with stories of widows and and you just make sure that it's okay that you can use that yeah but then you have you have an additional product or you have an additional way of generating revenue because you have then the audio that you can turn into copy that you can turn into text and that's the way that you can also extend the life of the work that you do and you could go and transcribe your uh, your podcast episodes, and so there's different ways of doing it. But most sites will you could they'll they'll do like a, a really good transcription for about a dollar a minute, or they'll do an automated one for about ten cents a minute, which is more affordable. But you're going to have to go in and clean it up a bit. But you it, got yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't, yeah, don't ever. I have I have used a couple um, transcri. <laughs> <laughs> I've used a couple transcription services thing, and you do always have to read over it because you're like. Oh, good Nord. I did not say that. And that should not go out to the public. But you're right in that you can repurpose podcasts in so many different ways. You could create months of social media content from your podcast episodes. Just like if, if you had like some kind of a transcription, if you have an accurate one or you're just grabbing or you're manually just grabbing quotes and typing them out. There's so much that can be done to make this into like a ton of content. And, and if you're using some kind of a tool that helps to automate your social media, uh, you could get like a month worth of content planned out and scheduled out and it's, uh, it, it can be done. And it's, uh, yeah, it, that's a very important point that you made. Yeah. So um, well, let's see, how, how are we doing on time? Oh, wow. Okay. So we don't have a, we don't have a whole lot of time left. What about, what, what would you say? So we've got um, uh, uh, folks writing a book, public speaking, um, podcasting. What else would you say 
are some really quick um, little tips, things that people can do um, that are easy and maybe they're not aware of, but that they can do like right away that could help um, as, as they're beginning their, their transition here into entrepreneurship? Well, I think, uh, I mean, a lot of business, even to this day, is about relationships. So you should be thinking, like doing some brainstorming activity around like potential power partners, um, referral partners. So there's a, like, I've worked with a number of different industries that like thinking outside the box sometimes to find people. Like I was working with a chiropractor and we, we came up with like the concept that uh, I know that there are, there are facilities that are for like um, even like drug and alcohol rehabs that will hire chiropractors, bring them in and you could, they get to work with like tons of clients all at once. And like these kind of like way outside the box ideas. Um, and so reach, it's like cold calling some of these bigger, uh, these, these types of businesses and like looking for opportunities that can sometimes lead to massive results. Um, so I, I like to start there with like the idea of thinking about potential power partners and, and going after them. And also one of the things you could do is take care of your existing clients. Um, I think a lot of people don't do that in marketing. I would say uh, this is kind of a universal tenant that the easiest people to sell to are the people that have already bought from you. Yes. Um, so like if, and if you're not nurturing your relationship with them, then you're, you're, you're putting yourself at a big disadvantage. So like the, the way that this has been described is like there's three buckets of potential customers. There's like your existing clients there are people that used to work with you, but that are not no longer working with you. And then there's people that, um, that are not working with you and have never heard of you. And the, the level of uh, ease in, in terms of being able to sell to them would go in that order as in like, if you've worked with them before, they're, they're going to be more likely to work with you. If they're, if they're still active, they're the hottest market. If yes. they were prior clients, they're the next hottest. And if they've never heard of you, they're cold. And there's a lot of challenges to attract cold traffic, cold people, because you have to educate them. Um, and you have to kind of indoctrinate them to your brand. And in business today, most people don't engage with a brand until they've had a lot of different touch points. Like we're talking like, I've heard anywhere from like 20 to a hundred different touch points. Um, so patience is another big thing. It's, uh, you know, a lot of this, it's possible to happen overnight. It's unlikely to happen overnight and you're going to hit roadblocks. You're going to hit, um, you're going to hit times when you want to give up. But it, when you when you can persist through that, like you come out the other end stronger, and uh, and often won't have those kind of mistakes re arise in your business. But but I think that yeah, the main thing is I would I would spend two things there. Um, one, start thinking about like who could be a potential referral source, and like think outside the box even about like corporate uh, about commercial businesses that might refer you clients as well. Right. And and then spend time send your thank you cards to your clients, send a, uh, send a gift or if somebody sends you business, like and refers you something, take care of them. So if somebody's yeah. referring you business, take care of your referral partners. Um, I had a conversation with somebody recently that, that said that he had been sending this real estate uh, agent, I don't know, millions of dollars of, uh, of, of business. And, you know, he, and he was making probably 50 grand a year off of him on referrals. And at one point he had, become a, um, the, the, the guy that gave him the referrals had, had joined some program and asked if this guy would sign up under him for like 50 bucks. And the guy's like, Oh, I'm not really interested in that. And he, he passed. And so the, the referring, the guy giving the referrals, uh, said, okay, you're not interested. Then he walked away and he stopped giving him referrals because 
Right. You, you know, it's like if, if somebody right. is giving you that much business, like they could sell you anything and you need to say yes. Like it doesn't matter if it's like you have zero interest in it. You're not, you're not buying what they're selling. You're, you're buying, you're paying to nurture that relationship. Well, and, and I think so much with entrepreneurs too, that they're on to the next sale. They're on to the next thing. They're on to the next yep. thing. And it's like, well, I've got this client and I'm done and I'm just on to the next thing. One thing that I like, I love to do is to do a client spotlight. You know, yeah, where it's great. I'm, and cause I'm excited about what they're learning. Here's the thing. If you're a really good teacher, coach, consultant, you're going to want to like showcase your, you know, your students, the people that you work with, your clients, because they're doing really well and it makes them feel awesome. It does. And, and that like, same, they're like, they feel like a special student that got an A, you know, or got a gold star. I, I don't same, know why I put it on my head, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, right there, gold star, right in the forehead. Yeah. Um, but in that same regard, yeah, that well, you—that's <laughs> something I hadn't even brought up. But yeah, the, the concept of social proof also is very big. So yeah, if you able to get testimonial stories from your clients, and if you're especially if you're in the coaching industry or you're in the seminar industry, like one of the biggest factors in presentation psychology is is sharing <laughs> testimonial stories of people that are like they were like other members of the audience. Um, they overcame problems that the other members of the audience may have currently. And they came out the other side with huge benefits. And so when you share stories like that, it, it's like a way of bypassing the, um, the critical faculty of the mind. And, I, and it also disarms objections uh, yeah. kind of without even thinking about it. So, and, and do it. And also uh, don't just do um, written testimonials because everybody, because the, the, the critic or the, the, the pessimist in most of us will go, that's a fake made up one. <laughs> yeah, Video. Sure Video is so important when there's a testimonial because it's an actual human being. And unless you have a lot of money to pay an actor, you know, if you're able to have somebody, plus you see the passion in their eyes, you can say, you know, God, working with Christine, working with Justin was the most amazing thing for my business. Yeah, um, exactly. That's, we're, we're like racing out of time. I want to let people know, though, how to get in touch with you and, um, and if there's anything that you want to just say uh, in closing. But the website that they can learn more about you is jmacmedia.com. Again, it's going to be a link associated with this interview. But did you want to also let people know, is there an offer that you wanted to do? Um, well, yeah. So the website, jmacmedia.com, J-M-A-C-K. So M-A-C-K, media.com. Yeah, if you go to my website and you go there, you'll find that I have an offer right now for a free 15-minute authority building strategy call. So it's kind of like going through the ideas that we talked about here on like what are creative outlets that we could utilize to build quick authority and credibility in your business so that you can leverage that to, to grow your revenue. Beautiful. So, and it's, again, it's jmacmedia.com, J-M-A-C-K, like the daddy Mac. That's right. Uh, <laughs> uh, please do check him out and, and take advantage of, he's going to let, he's going to basically, uh, you're going to have his ear and he's going to know right away some brilliant ideas. This is a, a very talented young man and I'm so excited to to know you and you live in the same kind of area code. That's right, yeah. <laughs> same same area, same county. <laughs> yeah, same county. Kentucky. Thank you everyone. And oh if you and if you if you wanted to find out more of obviously about the work that I do, you can go to Christineblasdale.com or you can go to out of the box with Christine.com and all the links are there. But I want to thank you so much, wonderful listeners and viewers of this podcast. And um, as always I want to remind you to think outside that damn box, just like Justin. And I will see you and hear from you next time. Bye for now.